Dave Copps is the CEO and co-founder of Dallas-based technology company, Worlds, where they've created an artificial intelligence platform for building the industrial metaverse. He joined the George W. Bush Institute in April at the Forum on Leadership, where he participated in a conversation on the co-evolution of humans and machines. He joined host Andrew Kaufman and the Bush Institute's Colin Clark to discuss worlds, how technology is changing education, and the future of AI. So what excites me about the future is um, it's almost like if you're creative and you want to build something, you can do it today. The only thing that's keeping you from doing it is your mindset that you can't. Almost anything is possible today. Hear more from Dave about his experience in the technology sector, AI chatbot, ChatGPT, and his collection of rare electric guitars on The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Presidential Center. Our guest now is CEO and co-founder of Worlds Inc., a tech company that we're going to we're going to talk a lot about here in just a second. But Dave Copps is here, uh, really. A I'd love to say this. He's a really fun nerd, and I'm a nerd, so I'm looking forward to talking nerd for a while. Dave, thank you so much for so the nicest us. things anyone's ever said about me. Oh, yeah, well, you need to get you need to get nicer friends. Yeah, it sounds like friends like Cullum Clark, the, the director of the SMU SMU Bush Center Economic Growth Initiative. Uh, Cullum, thank you so much for helping us out today. Also, great to be part of the team, Andrew. Um, so, okay, Worlds Inc. Let, let's let's just start by telling us about World Inc. What Worlds Inc. What is it? You know, it, it's funny. We we started the company uh, three and a half years ago, and it was uh, we were we sold the last company, and um, we knew we wanted to stay in AI, uh, but we weren't. But we didn't know what exactly we wanted to do. We looked out in the world, and we saw the one place that AI's not been crazy successful is in the real world. Like, mm-hmm. what happens in the real world? How do you measure that? Right. So what we've done at Worlds is we've created an plat- AI platform for creating what we call the industrial metaverse. So we're building live digital twins of real-world environments, like a, a distribution center, like supply chains where we focus, but um, that allow people to now measure, analyze, and kind of reimagine those businesses in ways that are never possible before. So you think about it, we spend a lot of time with inputs and outputs. We generate inputs and outputs, but we haven't paid much attention to what happens between that. With the why data, what process happened to produce that result. And that's what we do by taking the world and replaying it live inside of a digital twin. Like, so if you have a, it's almost like turning real life into a video game. So you're watching a distribution center and there's a a live model of that playing on the digital twin. So process happens and you can see that on the twin. Um, So some of the things we do is we look for like uh, critical variances that happen in a process that might cause a breakdown or things like that. So some of our clients are, there's processes they should follow, standard operating procedures, but they're never followed. <laughs> right, right. I think there's a 100% rule we have in our company. It's like uh, when people tell us what's happening in their business and then we show them, they're never the same. They're never the same. Never, mm. ever, never so. So what would be like, so an Amazon distribution center, mm-hmm. gigantic place, mm-hmm. you have now created this three-dimensional twin. Yeah. So what exactly is it going to, what problem is it going to solve? Yeah. How is it going to help Amazon now? I'll give you a real, a real example. So um, we're working with one of the largest food, dis- food uh, manufacturers in the world. And so they have a, a manufacturing site where, you know, they, they make chips and things like that. And w- one of the things that can happen is, that, you know, the chips will overflow. 
And so, um, you know, and then you have to shut down the line and that can be millions of dollars, you know, in, in lost time. So we've actually built a technology that um, can actually start to predict when that's going to happen. So by taking existing security cameras, so no new hardware mm-hmm. <laughs> and applying an AI layer on top, we created all these virtual sensors, just little green dots up and down the river. And uh, we can tell when that, that density is reaching a point where it could be dangerous and we can communicate with the system to slow down the river upstream and, and, and level it out. And so you have no downtime. So things like that. But human processes also, I think, where people in process happen, um, that's where most of the variation is because people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can't follow a process to save yeah. it. We keep trying to put processes on it. It's like, yeah. yeah, what if I wing it instead? That's right. No, but that's right. So Like we're doing now. Exactly. <laughs> Column, that is a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so all sorts of processes in supply chain happen with people. And um, having a technology that can not only watch that process, but understand when there's a variance happen that could cause a big problem, uh, that's what we do. And so it's a, the, the ROI for these things is just uh, astronomical. It's not a cost of software. It's like 10, 20, 30, 50 times that. You said that you, uh, you, know, you started this company after you sold another one. You're a, you, you had a great quote for Dallas Innovates that was, you are unemployable, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which is a great way of – I prefer to call you an entrepreneur, but you know, tell us about your, your background and, and how you got to where you are today here with Worlds. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was uh, in college. I was, I, uh, I kind of – I'm curious, right? That's my thing. I, I'm, I'm perpetually curious, and so that's good and bad sometimes. Mm-hmm. In college, it wasn't that great because I, I ended up not liking my business classes. My mom had this vision of me with an MBA, right? right. And I said, I'm going to change my major to anthropology. You know, <laughs> She was not very happy. <laughs> she didn't see so much future in that. <laughs> <laughs> but it happened because I, was, I, I, was, uh, I saw this class called Corporate Culture. And so I thought, that's interesting. So I, I dropped in on the class. Like I wasn't in the class, but I just sat in the class. I ended up sitting in the class every session. And finally, the teacher, Ann Jordan, we became really good friends after uh-huh. that. But she said, who are you? And I said, you're oh. not on my roster. Right. <laughs> and I said, I just think it's interesting. So I'm stopping by every day. She goes, okay, do you want to take the tests? And it ended up being something that's really important to me. Uh, just studying corporate culture, startup culture. I do talks on startup culture. Cause it's like um, culture is who we are together. It's the only thing that everybody in the company creates together. It's the only thing is culture. And so in our companies, we call it an Ubuntu culture. It's a Swahili word that loosely translated means I am who I am because of who we are together. And so Mm. who you are inside of a company is given uh, meaning by how you fit in the puzzle of the company. And so when people come in our company, it's not about, you know, in the old days, it's like, how do you, you want to get the the real go-getters that step over everybody and get to the top. And we're not that at all. You know, we uh, we actually have kind of an anti-diva culture. (laughs) It's uh, when someone comes in, the first question we ask them is, you know, look at your team and how can you help everybody in your team? Like, who can you be such that they'll be crazy successful? And if everybody thinks that way, it's a different environment. So... So anthropology, mm-hmm. you, so you've actually obviously had the experience of being a CEO through several mm-hmm. uh, serial companies, yeah. but the actual field of anthropology, studying cultures around the world, could you connect the dots, to, the dots for us? Yeah. Like what, what, what did you take away from that that yeah. you bring into these talks and into being a manager? So when you study a culture, you do what's called an ethnography. Mm-hmm. So the ethnography is you, you literally go live with that culture and you pay attention to how they operate and what are the... The systems that, that hold, hold them together, it could be religion, things like that, in a, in a culture. But the same things happen inside of a startup. What are the systems in place that keep people working together well? And so 
you have to build them, you know, so um, we have, it, it can be simple things too. Like, you know, when COVID happened and we're all working from home, that was a real challenge to culture. Yeah. Right. So yeah. how do you build a culture when people only half your company's in place, you know? So we did things like we had uh, big events, like we take people, we get a movie theater, we rent the movie theater and everybody comes to the movie, we do movies together and stuff like that. But we, we want to, and then uh, teams would get together and, and come to the office and spend a couple of days together and doing that. And then uh, I'll take people to lunch. And then we, whenever we, um, my, uh, my EA with me, she's fantastic. She lets me know when things happen that I should know about. And we'll, we'll bonus people for things that they would never expect to get bonus on. And, oh, but just kind of um, trying to, um, I think when you build a company, especially a startup, you know, it's not about the technology. That's kind of funny. People say, oh, you're a tech guy. Mm-hmm. I don't really think I'm a tech guy. I love technology and I love to geek out on technology. But um, I'm really a, a culture guy, a people guy. Like the, the goal for me is how do we build an environment such that people can all thrive in it. Like, uh, so how do you do that? How do you build an environment where people can thrive? And that's kind of the, the anthropology of it. It's like watching the system of your culture, how people work together to create a result. We do some things that uh, I think are kind of fun. Like one of them, we call impossible games. And so every once in a while, we create an impossible game. Mm-hmm. An impossible game is basically something that when you say it, everybody looks at you and goes, are you freaking crazy? Like <laughs> that can't happen. A game that can't be won. <laughs> yes. And so, uh, uh, so we had this impossible game where we had our software and everybody in the industry takes, you know, three, four months to get the stuff working and tested at the client site and all that. And so I, I said, let's create an impossible game. How about we have our software up and running in seven days? And of course, everybody looks at you like, you're crazy. <laughs> right. But now we do it every time. Interesting. You know? So what impossible game does, and you don't have to win them, by the way. Just by playing the game, you're metabolically different, right? Because you can't go back to being who you were before because now you see. So the, uh, the thing of an, the part of an impossible game that kind of is so uh, enlightening is that people think differently when they're right. going after something that's impossible. Yeah. You have to think differently. Yeah, that's, <laughs> like, I'm picturing that. We're like, yeah. if, I were, if I were having to launch a product that, that I knew normally takes six months and I had to do it in three months, yeah. I'd say, okay, well, what's, you know, we normally do two months of testing. Okay, well, I guess we're going to maybe do one month of testing. And, yeah. and how do you do that? How do you do one month of testing and yeah. still have error-free software? Yeah. Or, or, and right. that's, that's interesting. You have to collapse time. Yeah. So you have to ask yourself, how do I collapse time? And there's ways to do it. And it's okay to fail. Is that what you said? You said? Absolutely. Okay, that's a huge thing. So um, I don't believe in failure. <laughs> um, all, all there is in life and in business is what happens and what you choose to do next. Somebody else's judgment on that is not important. So in our, one of the things of our tenets of our culture is failure. You don't, there is no failure here, so try anything you want. There's no possibility of failure. There's just what you do and what we choose to do next. We recast failure as iteration. So um, instead of starting and stopping, which is what failure is all about, you start until something breaks and you stop and go, ah, whose fault was it, right? right? Now it's replaced by iteration. What happened? What didn't work? Let's measure that. Understand, how can, what can we change? You pull it back, build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn. And you repeat that process over and over again. We all say iterate, iterate, iterate until you reach awesome. And that's, why we, that's, that's what we replace failure with. Failure is kind of a, just a judgment call. <laughs> right. It's just a judgment call. All, all that happened was something happened. And, and all that's important now is what do you choose to do next? And so we kind of keep that. You never even hear the word failure in our company, unless it's a machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mach- machine. Yeah, that they fail drive, all the time. The hard drive failed. That's right, yeah. That's, that's all hard drives yeah. do is fail. So how would you describe yourself as a leader then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're all laughing at me. Uh, yeah, look, yeah we, we, a couple I, of members like of his team are here. Let's hear what, they, what their answer is. <laughs> I like to have fun. Uh, so I, I, I think we only hire people that are really, really good. And so I don't need to push them to be good. 
right? We're only hiring the very best, the one percenters, right? So I try to keep things really light, you know, so I'm the one that's always cracking jokes in meetings and, you know, and we have this kind of thing where, you know, uh, when someone walks in the door, I'm, I'll see him come in the side and I'll go, I'll say, screw that guy. And he walks in, you know, and I'll, oh, sorry about that. You know, but we just kind of, you know, we just try to keep it light. Um, but I think, yeah, my leadership style is I'm a people person. I care about people and I want everyone to be, I want, I want to create an environment where you can test your greatness. And, um, and I take it personally, like, um, who am I for you? Who, who, who could I be such that you can be great in this business is kind of a question I ask myself all the time. So could we talk a little bit? We, we just in our forum and leadership session talked about AI Yeah, and it's love to go deeper in a couple of these topics. So <laughs> yeah, you really, so Let's do, it. Do, you, do you like, um, science fiction, movies, books, there's so many portrayals of yeah. what the future holds, whether it's the, you know, the, the, the machines enslave all of humanity in the yeah. Matrix or, <laughs> or the really benign versions like Star Trek where the machines can just – you can just run it over a person and it diagnoses anything that's wrong with them. Yeah. So what, what, what has really struck you from the sci-fi world? My favorite AI movie is Her. Okay, tell us more. Do you know that movie? I do. I, I only know about it because we talked about it last night to peel the curtain back a little bit. Yeah, so her is not like a typical AI movie where it's, you know, it's lasers and you know, robots. But her is a story, I think it's Joaquin Phoenix, I think, is the, the main guy. But he falls in love with his AI. It's, it's like a, a ser- it's like a Alexa, but it's like, you right. know, it's intelligent. And he ends up kind of confiding in the AI. And, uh, and the whole story is about him falling in love with the AI. And um, I just found it fascinating. Like maybe it's the culture guy in me, you know, like this thing, you know, like how could a person fall in love with a machine, right. you know? So far, I just asked Siri to set an alarm for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not much romance happening there. Okay, but here's the crazy thing, right? Here's the crazy thing. There's a company called Replica right now, R-A-P-L-I-K-A, and it's basically her. Okay. They've created these AIs. You can give them like a, make them an avatar and things like that. And the crazy thing happens. So they, I think you could pay an extra 70 bucks and it would get intimate with you. <laughs> and, uh, oh my. so the, I think a, an agency found out about that and thought it was going too far. And so they made him take it out oh. and the people freaked out. Cause like, Oh, this is my best friend. This is like a, and so I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Like, cause it's, it's really at that, that, that juncture of people and machines and, Really, the AIs don't have to be people. They don't even have to be sentient. They just have to be good enough. Like, you know, like... Okay, since you bring up her, I got to follow up. Have you seen Ex Machina? Yes. Okay, so Love there too, you have a guy one. who grows enamored yeah. of a yes. AI in the shape yeah. and with the voice of, yes. a, of a woman. Yeah. Um, and in this case, she's quite charming. Yes. But she ultimately... Evil. Yeah, she she kind of wants to escape the grip of the human beings. And yeah. So, you have thoughts on that scenario? Well, we touched a little bit on this in our talk before. Um, I, I always try not to scare people, you know, but I do think um, where we're headed with AI, especially just recently, we're seeing little glimpses of AGI. So, AGI, let's think about the progress of AI. So, where we are now is narrow AI, artificial narrow intelligence. AIs do one thing really well drive a car, you know, look at a look for tumors, whatever it is. The next step is AGI, artificial general intelligence. So it's this ability for one AI to to do a lot of things that humans do. So one AI can do a lot of things like we can. We can drive a car, we can do our taxes or kind (laughs) of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the next phase is super intelligence where there's one AI that's more capable than all humans, right? So that's where Terminator, right? Right. That's where we get scary. Yeah. So we're kind of in this journey between A&I and AGI and we're seeing glimpses of AGI with all the stuff that just came out. And it's because of that, that, that uh, capability we talked about. This is principle-based learning. So f- we've all grown up in the Google era, right? 
where it's about search. They're, they're storing all this massive amount of data and you search. You're not, it's not giving you answers per se. It's just giving you the document, right? And you have to still have to assimilate and make the answers. Now with ChatGPT, it's read the entire freaking internet, 45 terabytes of information stored it down to 175 gigabyte file, 175 billion parameters. It's this massive compute. But now it can actually do all that work in one second. It can read the entire internet and answer your question. And you can do things like ask style. I did something kind of funny when I was, uh, I was doing a little lecture at TCU. And I said, I just brought them up on live on, Ch on ChatGPT. And I said, so um, write me a, st a paragraph about um, aliens attacking the, the earth, but only armed with vegetables. <laughs> oh, good. And so what, it came back and said, oh, well, I can't really do that because vegetables don't make very good weapons. Okay. <laughs> That's a good answer. Okay. All right. And then I said, okay, we'll replace vegetables with big honking lasers. And then it wrote this great paragraph. Uh, aliens. And I said, okay, now uh, say that like Joe Rogan would say it. I said, oh, well, yo. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> and then I said, okay, now state it like Dr. Seuss. And it turned the entire thing into a prose um, with rhyming words into the style of Dr. Seuss. It understood the style of Dr. Seuss. And that's kind of crazy, right? So it's not search anymore. We're leaving that world. We're going from big data to big compute and from, uh, from search to, 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 to creative. You, know, like a, a, you don't have to be a developer anymore. Um, it's, it's very helpful. <laughs> so I don't want to scare developers. It's very helpful. But um, uh, the world's changing. The AI is coming to the edge you know, to where we are. And we're going to be generating things, uh, anything you want. So you did it yesterday with the, the art stuff and Dolly. Yes, I did. I ran Dolly and generated quite a remarkable set of pictures in the space of about three or four seconds. And that did it from a 1.6 gigabyte file. Amazing. It's amazing. It is amazing. Literally, I just entered the name of my daughter yeah. uh, with the city to try to narrow down and just bang. And it actually did look like yeah. her in the style of Picasso, which is yeah. kind of weird. Yeah. Um, uh, so... Um, so another kind of futuristic question I'd love to ask about. So I've read up some on the history of AI, and one thing that's notable to me is that a lot of the pioneers have been not just fascinated by computing. In, mm -hmm. in, in many cases, they've been even more fascinated by the human brain, Yeah, right? The ultimate frontier. So the, I guess the question that comes to mind for me is, you know, people think about, well, the AI is substituting for humans, but... Mm -hmm. Can we imagine a future where they make us smarter, where literally brains get kind of mm -hmm. rewired by having this much more powerful source of help? Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> so uh, you think about the distance. What's happening right now is the distance between us and AI is collapsing, right? So it used to be AI was out there, and now it's on our browser, and then now it's on our watch, and now it's now if Elon Musk has his way with Neuralink, it'll be a chip in your brain, right? Now, the first thing he's doing with that, by the way, is someone that's paralyzed will be able to walk again you know that's amazing right? That, right but the distance between ai and a person at that point is zero right and so um that's happening so the question is how fast will it happen right how fast will that evolution happen you know everyone will have their opinion on that i'm probably not that excited about fusing with a machine <laughs> you know? yeah i don't i'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not thrilled about it yeah. yeah but it's gonna happen um so computers um, crash that's my thinking this yeah <laughs> <laughs> Reboot exactly. Like, well, um, so I, you know, I think, um, yeah, the, the all of your sci-fi dreams are all possible. That's what's kind of scary. You well, know? like the Matrix, for example. Of course, it's mostly a dystopian story, obviously. Mm -hmm. But one thing that's quite interesting is the way they can plug in um, what the star's name, Keanu Reeves' character yeah. is uh, Neo. Neo, yeah, yeah. They can plug in Neo into the software that teaches him how to like be right. a karate that's fighter right. really, right. really fast. Yeah, is, yeah. is that? 
just totally science fiction? No, why not? I mean, why not just, uh, yeah, I want to be a, the best in karate. Boom, give me that file. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more that we need to understand before that's possible. You know, um, the hum- and what, I think what's kind of interesting is that we also, we anthropom- anthropomorphize uh, AI. We always want it to be like us. Yeah. When the reality is it's not like us at all. It's actually going to be like partnering with an alien. Because um, uh, AI, and this is where we probably disagreed in our talk, that, mm. you know, um, uh, we don't know how it's learning anymore. And that's the truth. Um, scares me a little bit. It does. And it probably should a little bit. But um, when Google kind of came out with reinforcement learning, uh, and they kind of proved this all out, that game of Go, we talked about this in the talk. Like, So Go is a 13 by 13 board. It's actually a couple sizes. I think that's the small board. I think it's a big board. Anyway, the big board, um, there's more possible moves than there are atoms in the universe. And so it's an incredibly complex game, right? And so you couldn't do a rules-based approach like telling an AI how to play the game. It's impossible. There's too many moves, right? Yeah, there's, so, there's too many if statements. That's right. So what they did, we created reinforcement learning. And by having the machine play itself in a game thousands of times, over the course of a few weeks, it became the best Go player in the world and beat the best Go player in the world. Matter of fact, in the movie, there's actually a movie about this. And yeah, I'm a geek. I watched the movie. Um, <laughs> I don't recommend it for everybody. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. It's not that exciting. No, fair enough. <laughs> but um, I think this in one one of the games, uh, AlphaGo, the move AlphaGo made, um, the best player in the world got up and walked out, and he and they asked him why, and he said, "There's no reason that that move could be should be made ever." So the player just couldn't comprehend. Couldn't even comprehend why in the world yes. did AlphaGo do that. Yes, but AlphaGo was right. Was, was he, lost. Yeah, yeah. he lost? Yeah, he lost. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so um, that's why I'm saying, you know, um, we have to get comfortable with the fact that we don't know how it's learning. Right. We're going to have to get comfortable with that fact. But at the same time, you know, AlphaGo, it, it could beat that person at, at this game. and a narrow intelligence. It's a narrow intelligence, exactly. It couldn't, if you asked it to drive a car, it would have... Can't do it. Can't do it. That's right. How... Is, is, that, is that going to eventually be a detriment to AI, or is that what's going to save us? Um, people are of different opinions. I, I, I don't know if uh, AGI is a thing, it's an algorithm or a magical algorithm, or if it's uh, actually just connecting all the A and I's. I don't know. Um, I'm of the opinion that it's something like that. Like we, uh, we have these things in, uh, that's coming out, they're coming out now, called, they call glue code, right? Not glucose, glue code. <laughs> and glue code is basically code that sits between functions, you know? So like you could have like a, this is what's exciting me about the all chat GPT stuff is there's, there's all these companies coming out that are creating these little mini functions like one function is a uh, it's just long-term memory for ai it'll really remember everything you do and so that's a function you can take that function you can glue it to like a task manager and now you have this you know it's almost like a chunky style neural net like you can take all these these functions and glue them together and then have something uh, you can create something but you can do that today without any knowledge of code that's what's going to change the world right it's it used the previous world's been created by engineers only and part of what sucks about AI is that, I mean, I love engineers, all the engineers that work for us are the most brilliant people I've known in my life, you know, but I, I've, when I talk to colleges about AI, I tell them they should make sociology and anthropology required courses for engineers. That's a great idea. Yeah, because you, you want to, don't, you want to, don't want to build, we built AI about people yep. and that's what's not working. We want AI for people, right? So how can we build an AI that empowers us, that has us become more effective, more productive and makes our work easier, right? So in terms of making life better for human beings, mm-hmm. I'd love to ask about a couple areas. So 
Andrew recently j- just mentioned driving here a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't cracked the code yet on level five uh, mm-hmm. mobility, right? Yeah. Uh, are we within a relatively short shot of doing that? Le- level five mobility meaning that the what is, what is level yeah? Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, we're, I think the best we have right now is level three. And, and believe it or not, it's not are, Tesla's. As I understand it, these are each level is a, an additional set of tasks driving a car that the AI can do. Different capabilities, right? So uh, driving straight on a road, you know, is not that hard. But let's say the car goes off the road uh, and there's construction there and there's, there's all these cones. Does the car know how to interpret that and go where the cones tell it to go? Or let's make it even harder. There's a traffic cop there and he goes like this. It gives a stop sign. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Tesla. And then it goes like this. It gives you the go, the go sign, right? So Tesla driver assist is level two, right? Right now, uh, Elon uh, went all with cameras, which is kind of funny because I agreed with him when he made the choice. I'm going to go only with cameras. I thought, that's a great idea, you know, because that's what we're doing kind of. Um, but w- what's happening is this camera, you can't do it with cameras. You've got to add, you know, LiDAR and, and other sensors to sense the environment. The combination of those sensors together will make level five possible. Why, why do cameras not work? I, I drive with yeah. my eyes, which are essentially cameras. Yeah. Why does, so why does it not work? Uh, yeah, but you... You can judge distance. A camera oh. can't judge distance. Mm. And so and it converts to two dimensions. We can actually do that at Worlds, by the way. <laughs> okay. But uh, we figured that out. That's one of our patents. But, oh, um, there you go. Yeah. But um, yeah. So it's, I think that's the other thing that we, we're learning uh, in sensing the world is that uh, we always thought you could buy a sensor and that sensor would solve a problem, right? It senses something and you get that data and you're done. And that's not what's happened. What's happening is we have to, we want context, right? Because when you walk in a room, you see things, you hear things, you make smell things or things like that. But you, you take all that in, in real time and, and make a judgment about what you just walked into, like a, a locker room, right? right? It's a different experience than walking into the Bush Center. Um, but AI is not doing that right now. We're, we're, we're kind of multi-single modal, right? And so now what we're trying to do is to take data from multiple sensors and create a context, you know, eventually we'll have robots walking around. It'll walk, it'll hear, it'll smell, you know, <laughs> and that's when we'll start talking about sentience and all of it. But uh, we're not there yet. The other area I wanted to ask about was um, healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so giant part of the economy, obviously mm-hmm. lots of inefficiencies. Um, of course, we'd love to have better outcomes, yeah. but we'd also like to actually figure out how to do this whole thing in a way mm-hmm. that doesn't cripple the economy. Mm-hmm. What, what, what can we look forward to over the next 10 years? What do you think? That's a really good question because it, it, it's the same thing with energy and EVs, right? You can't change the EVs overnight because it'll destroy the economy because we have a tri- multi-trillion dollar supply chain around combustion engines, right? It's the same thing with healthcare, right? Because when you think about it right now, we're creating drugs that don't cure disease. They just make it okay. <laughs> but the possibility in the future is we will cure the disease, you know? And so, um, so there's some fascinating things that are happening with exponential technologies, right? So an AI is one of them, but the thing about AI is it's, it's, uh, it's the one exponential technology that's a part of all the other ones. Mm-hmm. So uh, genome, genomic, genomic data or uh, science, right? So um, that's, uh, you couple that with AI and now we're going to have the ability to cure major diseases. We'll, we'll, we'll program them out of the human body. Um, and modify that with with CRISPR technology to modify the DNA. That's where it's happening. It's CRISPR and AI, right? And so we're going to accelerate the um, the elimination, the extinction of disease. We will do that. That's a that is the future. It's not even possible future. It will happen. So is computing power the mm-hmm. principal bottleneck now in going from all of this genomic raw data yeah. to 
insights into how to cure disease? It was. It was. Okay. But I think it's changed now. I mean, look at companies like NVIDIA, right? So the, the, the compute power is not so much a limitation. Bandwidth is not that much of a limitation anymore unless you get in remote locations. But I mean, we're able to, I heard the other day, the evidence of 1.3 terabytes a second, right? <laughs> you don't need that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no limitation there. Um, uh, software is, and it's ebb and flowed between software and hardware. You know, hardware we get really capable and software would go crazy and the hardware needs to get more capable and it keeps doing that, right? So we, that, that's part of uh, progress, but um, we talked about a little bit in the talk. I think what's happening now is the environment for AI is uh, better than it's ever been. There are the limitations that kept us from getting to where we are today are all gone. Right. Right. So you want there's all the bandwidth you need, um, and then, you know now the, the technology is a bit now we have principle based learning. I don't need to store the data. Now we have the ability to learn without data with the reinforcement learning and just have things play a game and learn. You know, so it's a different world right now. I think we've seen recently an acceleration of this too, because when once ChatGPT came out, everybody started passing yeah. there, trying to say, "Oh, we're 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 not behind. We're we're, yeah. we're so all this stuff is coming out is coming out now." Is, yeah. Has is how far is this now from being able? ChatGPT is nice and it, it's got some uses, but yeah. it, it's its utility is is still limited. Mm -hmm. Like realistically, where like we're we're talking long term cure disease. Mm -hmm. Where are we in the next one to three years? Like what's the what's the more short term? I think the cool thing that's happening right now, so chat GPT, so the, the, it's not the tech stuff that excites me. Like what's happening is these large language models. So if you go to, there's a cool site. Um, oh, crap. I knew I was going to forget what the name of it was. I'll think of it in a second here. Um, but they're, uh, they list all the language models. But um, uh, language models are becoming the new platforms, right? So platforms before iOS, Android, things like that. Mm -hmm. These language models are becoming platforms. People are starting to build applications. You haven't quite seen them yet, but they're happening right now. Like literally as we speak, uh, the first five applications have come out. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so they're building applications on top of these large language models. And, um, the capabilities, like the one I just told you about, where you, it's called uh, Baby AGI, is one of the things. And it's Baby a, AGI. Yeah, it's a task manager that will that will accomplish tasks, and then when it accomplishes one, it'll create a new one on its own, mm -hmm. and it keeps a memory of those tasks because it has that little module that I told you about right. that brings long-term memory to AI, and, and it's people piecing these things together like Legos. It's like right. a digital Legos, right? With all these cool functions, and you have glue code that pulls it together, and um, anyone can do it. And so, what excites me about the future is. Um, it's almost like if you're creative and you want to build something, you can do it today. The only thing that's keeping you from doing it is your mindset that you can't. Almost anything is possible today. I, the, but anything is possible, but there's a line between possible and whether or not we should, which yeah. gets us into the <laughs> ethics of AI. Yeah. And where, where do we draw the line? Like, you know, I think we were talking yeah. last night, I, I, I asked the question that I think about a lot is just, is when you're looking at self-driving cars, even whether or not the self-driving is AI or just, Taking inputs, simple mm -hmm. if simple if then statements. If if I see this, I'll do this. Yeah. And the the example of there's one passenger in the car and it's driving down a road at seventy miles an hour, yeah. and the, and three people walk into the road and the car can choose to either keep driving yeah. and kill three people or yeah. veer off and kill one person. Yeah. How do you how do you program for that? How do you, how does a programmer ethically say like okay this is what I'm going to ask the machine to do when that situation yeah. arises or if it arises? Uh, it will. It's funny about. Four years ago, I was going to a conference and a lawyer pulled me aside. He said, hey, can I ask you a question? Lawyers. And he gave me almost that exact example. He said, I'm on a road where it's, you, you know, there's a cliff on mm -hmm. this side and there's a small child in the road here. Mm -hmm. He goes, AI hits the child. 
who gets sued? <laughs> Lawyers. <laughs> Lawyers, right? Yeah. Uh, but here's, I mean, this is what you think. If, if it was old AI, it'd probably be the programmer because they programmed in kill the child, right? Right. Um, but that's not what's happening that's now. Not, yeah, not in real AI. Not anymore. So what's happening now is the AI, and I guess you can program in a, in a bias, right? So and we, I think you and I had a conversation about this. Like, there's always bias. Like, everyone has a bias. How you were brought up, um, you know, what you were taught, um, your culture, that all contributes to your bias. Um, in AI, when it was just data, there's a bias from the data. Um, now that we're training AIs, AIs without, without data, <laughs> but you know, it's still happening with, these, with, the, with the EVs, right? We're getting millions of miles a day of training and things like that. But I think what's happening today is they're going to train in a bias that you favor the driver in any situation. Always favor the driver. Because, oh. And oh. so I don't think it's going to get to a moral decision like... <laughs> What do you mean? That's a three-year-old child. How could you possibly kill a three-year-old you child? Can't, you can't teach them. How do you teach them morality? Yeah, you can't, right? And so what usually happens is someone tries to do both and still doesn't work. So. Humans, of course, wrestle with morality also. It's true. Yes. We do. Yes. We, we are flawed. We are flawed. And thus the machines we make will be flawed. They will be flawed. Absolutely. That's right. No, and they will have bias. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets mad about that. But, well, you're biased. Right. <laughs> we, none of us are perfect. And yeah. So Dave, here's a, a practical question. Yeah. At the Bush Institute, one thing, one area we're very focused on is education. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, boy. So sometime quite a while back, I think uh, we all kind of figured out that obviously it's helpful if kids learn to read and do math and so forth. But then we th- thought, well, they probably should at some point learn how to use like a word processing program mm-hmm. or Excel or whatever. Mm-hmm. What should be in the schools? What should they be learning how to do? Oh, interesting. As yeah. little kids or high school or, or whatever. Yeah, we just, I just learned how to type in school. Like, you know, I'm old enough. There's like <laughs> keyboarding. I'm, I'm still right. keyboarding. Just, I'm yeah. still just, <laughs> keyboarding, exactly. Yeah. Two index fingers. Is oh, terrible. are you? Well, yeah. sort of. I'm a little disappointed. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot that's disappointing when you look too closely. <laughs> I have kind of a, this is the first time I've said this, but I was thinking about this last night. Um, I think the younger they are, the, the more you shouldn't use a technology like ChatGPT. You have to learn the basics of language and understanding how things should be and how to create language and to create emotion in and, and your writing and things like that. So I do think it would be very detrimental if you let kids interact with something like ChatGPT really early. Like parents don't do that. Do not do that, right? I don't know what the age is, but at some age it should be okay then to engage ChatGPT. And like in colleges right now, don't outlaw the stuff. Embrace it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I, at this conference I was in, I got to meet um, Sal Khan from Khan Academy. Sure. And he's coming out with Conmigo. It's going to probably come out next month or so. Basically, the guys from OpenAI called Sal Khan and said, hey, um, you know, let's work on something together. And so they, they made Conmigo. And um, I'm so glad it's Sal Khan because he's so thoughtful uh, about how he's building it, you know. But um, basically, it's a personal tutor. Like from a very young age, a student will have a personal tutor that grows up with them throughout their life. Mm-hmm. And um, the cool thing about the way he's talking about it is um, this tutor can actually work with you. Like you could say, um, teach me about gravity, but um, from Sir Isaac Newton, it'll create the experience for you. Mm. You know, and uh, oh, wow. yeah. And so, th- but there's the idea of um, th- this tutor is yours. It knows you. It knows how you learn. Uh, right. Because one thing is broken about education. We haven't changed it since World War II. I mean, we still have people staying in front of 200 people making one lecture, same speed, same topic, same way of learning to 200 people. It's stupid. We're better than that. So education has to change. It'll be one of the areas that changes more than any other area. But they, colleges should be embracing it, not only with, with students, but with teachers. 
how do you create curriculum? How do you, you know, involve these technologies inside your classroom? You know, like I, I've been kind of telling uh, universities that um, at some point you need to create a group at your college that their, their job is to create experiences of education. Like if you're studying the human heart, why wouldn't you have a 20 foot heart in front of the room where people could fly through it and mm-hmm. go up and touch it and do things with right. it? Like explore the aorta. Yes. Like we, uh, we, like we need to develop like experiential technology groups inside of colleges where when you go there, it's, it's an experience and you can't ever forget that. Right. Cause that's, uh, cause, cause knowledge is, knowledge is everywhere today. It's not it just is. behind the walls of a college. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So it has to be some other reason. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I was telling you the story of uh, Ken Hirsch, our CEO, and I. We were mm-hmm. playing with ChatGPT the other day, and you know, we were we asked it a policy question. We asked it, you know, is immigration good or bad? Yeah, and you know, it was, it was really interesting because that was our our initial thought was, you know, is that can a college kid get his his essay on this? If yeah. if a professor asked him like, hey, write an essay on immigration, what, could you just take the ChatGPT answer? And ChatGPT actually, to its credit, said, you know, this is a nuanced issue, and there's yeah. there's pros and cons to it, and it didn't really pass a judgment. And so, I mean, to me, it just off the top of my head as a, as a university, like, okay, yeah. ask ChatGPT a question, yeah. take its answer, and now expand on it and, yeah. and draw your own conclusion yeah. from that starting point or, or, or something. That's how I use it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll actually, when I'm writing something, I might take a sentence or two and put it in there. You don't have to say anything, but there's also learning how to prompt an AI. It's becoming a real skill. Um, so you can ask it, do you understand? I'll say, yes, I understand. Give me what you got. And you say, okay. Um, then use a verb first in your prompt, like um, create blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, or, and uh, and uh, you'll get better answers from the AI. But that's the way I use it, though. I'll, I'll actually uh, take a couple sentences I've written, put it in there, and say, write me a, two paragraphs. I'll say two paragraphs specific. It's not with this big thing. I just want to – and I'll grab ideas. Out of, oh, hey, that's – I didn't think about that, right? So it's almost like having an alien – uh, collaborator, right? Right. And, and, and uh, giving you ideas and I'll take that and I'll write, you know, more and more, but I've never done a thing where I just take whatever's written. Yeah. I know I get frustrated because I've, I've, I've tried using the AI graphic stuff that Colin was using and mm. like other people use it, like they get really cool art. And I get, <laughs> like, mine sucks. What, what am I doing wrong? Prompting. Yeah. yeah. I'm not prompting it right. It's, it's actually, so I was talking, I got, I'm on the board of the DRC now in the Dallas uh, regional chamber and I was talking with Dwayne Denkisfeld, uh, uh, Dunkus Ryder. He's a good Dunkus Ryder. Thank you. I can never pronounce his last I name. Know. That's a hard one. Dunkus Ryder. Got it. Um, we were talking. And I said, you know, we got to we got to we got to do something with education. And I said, I'm your man. Let's go. And so, uh, but we talked about this idea of like, why don't we create like a, a one and a half or two year degree? Get colleges to do this. Like even the the two year college, four year two year colleges. Like, can we create a degree in, in generative AI where you'll learn a little bit of Python? You know, so and maybe it's a one semester course or two semester courses, something like that. But you learn a little bit of Python. It's an easy syntax. It is an easy syntax. It's an easy, and it's the language of AI. Um, but outside of that, you learn how to prompt AIs, things like that. And so you could go into any business and create anything, you know. And so that's a degree that should exist right now. It should exist here, and we should do it first. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So we've spent all this time. We've talked technology. What can yeah. technology not solve? <sighs> wow. I mean, there's a lot of things, right? Uh, matter of fact, uh, the conversation I had walking out of the house today, because I've always been doing this thinking about AI and stuff lately, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I said, hey, I have a new new idea for a business, you know, to, to, uh, to my son. And he said, what is that? And I said, I'm calling it Opt Out. Opt Out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's a business about how uh, you you work with travel companies to create experiences that have no technology. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm going to opt yeah. out for seven days, and I'm going to go to this place. I'm not going to have a phone or anything, and here are the things I'm going to learn. And when I come back, I'll talk to everybody about what showed up because it, 
technology wasn't filling my brain. I, I was speaking to a colleague <laughs> no. the other day. Opt out. That's yep. going to be it. <laughs> he said he's he's going to he's taking a week off. And he's going to go to it's a I think it's a monastery where they they do yeah. not allow phones and there's there's no cell yeah. even if they did it wouldn't matter because there's no reception. And he's because he's he's very a very connected person and yes. always and he's like you know what this is this is this is vacation is to get away from no it is, I, I'm a big believer in it and you ask my boys you know we we have like no tech days, you know, on vacation or just put it away, you know? And, and, um, for me, especially, I remember after I sold my last business, uh, the first thing I did was I went to the islands and it was, uh, we have a house on the island called Beckway and I went down there and, uh, it's funny cause the guy who bought us, he calls me on Wednesday, which is, we were bought on Tuesday. And he said, Hey, I was going to come to Dallas and say hi to you. He said, well, I'm actually in the islands. He goes, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my partner came down and we just literally just, you know, no tech, just walking down the beaches. And, and, um, when you do that, um, I'm kind of a believer that your, your mind's like a pie, right? And when you take a bunch of stuff out, you know, so now I don't have a business anymore. I have all the space that's available. And you, if you leave that space there, things will show up. Mm-hmm. And, and that can't happen when we're so immersed in technology, right? right. You've got to create space. Yep. So you'll I'll, read a book, you'll enjoy a sunset. Yeah. And maybe even a book about something that you you, you know, don't think you'd like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is like, uh, challenge yourself, you know, with, a uh, put your pants on left leg first. Huh? <laughs> right, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's, you know, this business we're in right now showed up from that experience, you know, like we just, uh, kind of thought about it and, and, um, so I think space is really important, really important. So I'm, I'm, I'm big on that. Colm, I'll give you, we're about 10 minutes over, but whatever. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't have a hard stop after this. So I'll give you, I'll give you the last shot. So you collect rare guitars. Ah, uh, you yes. make craft beer. You I'm, apparently are quite an accomplished griller. Uh, <laughs> oh, when, when are you having us over for to enjoy the grill? Uh, well, we also have a barbecue tour. Like so we have a bunch of we have a bunch of people that get on a bus and we go down to South Texas and we do a two day barbecue tour. So wow. what have you learned from these tours? Um, one that I can only eat so much barbecue. We actually made a, a, a Magna Carta for it. Like everybody had to read it and it was like, you know, I, I agree that I will only, I will eat barbecue at every place and things like that. And, um, and if somebody dies, we will drag them along and not tell their wife until we get done with the trip. You know, things like things, that. Things, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, I, I rules think, are rules. Yeah. I some quirky stuff. I love, I love, yeah. These guitars from small luthiers, um, just, uh, their works of art as much as they are instruments and, uh, electric or acoustic, electric, all electric. Yeah. Um, and so I love that. Um, I do have some crazy cars. I have a 1975 Cadillac Eldorado with seven foot long horns on the front. Is that your daily driver? No, but it, I tell you, it's my favorite car to drive though. Cause you'll come to a four way stop and if there's like, it's a full stop. No one goes. <laughs> yeah, everybody's, everybody's got their phone out. Yeah. Like, they're not going to go until you move. Right. right. They're taking uh, a picture of the guy with, yeah. the, <laughs> with, the, with the horns on the car. Does it have fins, too, on, in the rear? Uh, the small fins, not, not the big tall ones. Those are the 50s. But uh, okay. it was funny because I was on eBay at 2.30 in the morning, and nothing good happens on eBay at 2.30 in the morning. And I saw this guy, and he had a, he had a caddy, and I always wanted a caddy. Uh, but I also want, like, uh, a ranch with giraffes and a fire truck, and so my wife knows that. So I ended up – I put a low bid on the car – and um, uh, the funny thing was, it was way low. Mm-hmm. Like, I was not expecting. Right. And the guy ended the auction. I got the car. And I was like, oh. Oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and now, I, now I own the car. Okay. Yeah. And so. Uh, Gonna need a bigger garage. Going out to the bar with my guys. And how should I tell her and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and the theory we came up with was, go tell her and say, hey, remember the, the giraffes and a ranch? Yeah. yeah. I didn't do that. <laughs> you know the fire truck? Yeah, fire truck? Didn't do that either. Didn't do that. Yeah. 
the caddy. <laughs> <laughs> that one I might have done. Yeah. No, she has a love. She loves it too. Though. That's how I married up. So. And how, how many guitars do you have? Oh, a dozen probably. Yeah. Um, three of them are from the same luthier. Yeah. Wait, which luthier? He's a guy named Taya, T-E-Y-E. Um, so when I sold my first company, one of my plans was my first purchase was going to be a, a Tony Zemaitis guitar. Tony Zemaitis only made 300 guitars. And, but like, you know, the Rolling Stones had them and stuff like that. Right. And in Googling his stuff, I found this guy named Taya who was influenced by Tony Zemaitis. And he was in Austin. So I went down to Austin and he said, I have a Zemaitis, so you can play the Zemaitis, but I want you to play my guitar too. And I did, and I liked his better. I was like, wow. And so I have three Taya's now, but uh, he's amazing. He's just amazing, amazing luthier. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Dave, this has been, this has been so great. We'll, we'll let you go back about your day, because I, I would it's be happy to do this all day. <laughs> it's fun. Thank you so, so much for spending <laughs> this time with Thank us. Thank you what for hosting. What a pleasure hosting, to be yeah. together. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Always. Absolutely. Uh, you can learn more about Worlds at worlds.io. And also, yes. you're a, I understand you're starting a podcast of your own, is that? We are. You know, um, we're we're going to be doing it's it's, it's going to be fun for me because I'm going to get to host it and my partner is going to do some too. Uh, but it's it's not going to be like me about me. It's like I'm going to be with people and you know you've heard about me. I like to talk about people. It's not so much about technology and things. But um, we have some incredible advisors. I'm going to go sit with them. These these are some of the people are running some of the biggest businesses in the world, but they're also present to like, you know, how technology can alter their business. And yeah. so the conversations are going to be initially about like how, what's the role of automation? How are you, how are you envisioning your business of the future and that kind of stuff? But in the end, it's going to be about them. Like, who are you right. <laughs> that, that loves doing this? Like what, what, what's in, what lights you up? So it's going to be kind of that kind of a thing. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. And we'll be able to find out about it at worlds.io. Is yeah. that the best place to keep yeah. it out? Yeah, I'm still trying to think of a name for it, you know. That's, it's I, it's going to be hard to find it on, on Apple Podcasts without that. Yeah, he's yeah, a name. <laughs> that's that's the kind of tips we can offer as veteran podcasters. Okay. You need a name. <laughs> and that's that's about the only useful tip I have. Wow. If I, <laughs> if I come up with something better, I'll be sure to let you know. <laughs> Thanks again, Dave. This yeah, is awesome. awesome. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Yep. Learn more about the Forum on Leadership at bushcenter.org slash forum on leadership. Learn more about Worlds at worlds.io. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Let us know what you think on social media at The Bush Center, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. 